So, hey guys, we're back with another podcast, and this one is one that you're going to want to pay a lot of attention to. There's going to be a lot of details, and uh, and I'm super excited to bring it to you. We have James B. Mills uh, on the phone, and we're going to be talking about his new book, Billy the Kid. Uh, of course, before we get into the podcast and interview, I want to thank my friends at the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper. Uh, I urge you to subscribe, and you can do so by going to tombstoneepitaph.com. One year is 25 two years 45 three years 60 bucks. You might as well do this three-year. It saves you $15 instead of a year-to-year membership. And then our subscription. And then I want to thank my friends over at the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org. That is a group of people just like me that are interested in history with true provenance. Um, No made up, you know, stuff, whatever's out there. True Western history. And you get the journal. It's 75 bucks a year. And the journal's 100 plus pages. It shows up four times a year at your home. It's like getting a book every time. And I urge you to join the Wild West History Association by going to wildwesthistory.org. So when I was at Roundup, which was a big convention in um, in uh, Rapid City, South Dakota, there was a gentleman there from... Um, what's the book um, that you're part of? The uh, hi, how you doing? Hi, oh, I haven't um, got there yet. But the okay. <laughs> what? Um, uh, University of Texas, I think. Univers- Pre- University of Texas Print Press. University University in North Texas Press. North, there you go. And so I ran and into the guy's this- name. The guy's name is Ron Crisman. There you go. So I ran into Ron, and Ron and I were talking about podcasts and. And I said, uh, and he says, well, do you know James? And I said, no. And he goes, well, I'll connect you with James and, and let's see if we can't work something out. And, and here's James. And James and I have been talking on the phone quite a bit and we've been texting back and forth. And in the, while we were doing that, his book showed up uh, in the mail and it is gorgeous. Like, I, I love books. The front cover and the artwork. Is that Bob Bose Bell's artwork? Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's Bob. And so Bob did the artwork, and it is just fantastic. And uh, and we got James here today to talk about the book, talk about himself a little bit, and, and dig into the book. And if you guys want to know where to get the book, uh, you can find it at booksellers near you. I actually went online and looked around. There's a website called Better World Books. That's got it, and uh, there's other online. If you just go online, Amazon. And type in, what's that? Amazon on Amazon and Amazon, and yeah. uh, there's just a lot of places you can go to get the book. Amazon is probably going to be your best bet. Um, so, welcome, sir. How are you? I'm doing good, Mike. Just don't call me sir, man. You say that, I'd look for an old guy. Yeah, that's me. Well, it's it's habits the way yeah, I was right. raised. So, um, I know. But I read a little bit about you, and I'm going to screw up how I your name, or not your name, but where you're from. Um, that's okay. So go ahead and say it before I butcher it. I'm from Dapto, man. I live in Dapto. Uh, it's a part of the Illawarra region of New South Wales, Australia. So I was born in Wollongong Hospital. A lot of uh, the names of the places here from the Indigenous people, the Aboriginals. So it's, you know, that's how it works. So that's why some of them are difficult to pronounce for you 
Yanks, I guess. Well, and it's letters, and it's not that they're difficult. It's just kind of making sure that I say them correctly. You know, I don't want to say them wrong. Uh, I have a friend that lives in Rockhampton. Like, you can't blow Rockhampton. You just can't mess that one up. Um, <laughs> it doesn't matter if you say I'm wrong. Just say I'm wrong. Who cares? There you go. Um, I also read that your mother, Diane, was a huge influence on your Western history at growing up. Is that is that correct? Yeah, if I had to, I was always drawn to history and I always had an interest in the American West from the time I was four or five years old. I don't know why, but if I had to credit anything, it's probably one of my favorite memories from early childhood was just lying on the lounge with her on the Sunday afternoon, all Sunday afternoon, and they'd play the old Westerns. I can't remember which ones. I think one was Broken Arrow or... But they were all the old westerns and that, and just watching the old westerns all day. They used to play like two or three in a row, and um, yeah, it's just all afternoon Sunday Arvo, and yeah, I loved it. And that kind of, I think, nurtured my interest in in the field when I was four or five years old. But it progressed from there. Did it continue on all the way through, or did you take a break from it? And or oh you- no, it continued. It continued on. I was I was renting because I didn't have many materials available to me down here. But I mean, I used to rent when I was six, seven, eight years old, nine years old, ten years old. I used to rent uh, a lot of westerns from movie uh, places, the old blockbuster video and all that. But I also used to hire uh, borrow a lot of books from the library, and they mostly they didn't really have any biographies, but they had like those general history of the West books where they tell you a little bit about everyone and everything kind of thing. And, I mean, I wouldn't use those kind of books as sources now. They were probably full of crap in a lot of ways. But they had some great artwork in them and that too. Like, And a lot of kids when my age, when they were nine or ten, were reading you know, Goosebumps or Babysitter's Club or whatever that garbage is. And I was reading about Thinning Ball and Geronimo and just all sorts of stuff. And I used to draw pictures of Native Americans. And, um, I mean, I was kind of an eccentric kid. Asked for an electric typewriter for my ninth birthday, and everyone in the family thought I was weird, which I guess I was a bit. But I mean, that was kind of a sign of because I just loved typing and sort of writing little things here and there. And I guess that was a sign of what was to come in in the years ahead. So makes sense looking back on it now. When you when you got out of like high school or whatever the how the grades work in Australia and. You're 18, 19 years old. Did it continue? Um, I had to leave high school in uh, the seventh grade, man. Oh, um, I was born with I was born with severe obsessive compulsive disorder. I'll put that out there now. So I mean, and the anxiety and depression that goes with it. I don't hide it. I'm not ashamed of it. Whatever. Um, I mean, there's a stigma with mental illness, but it's the way it is. Right. And I had I had a very uh, tough time at school, I'll say. I don't want to get into like some pity party. I mean, hell, the people out there had a lot worse lives than I had. Mm-hmm. Um, and I had to basically was forced to, they had to kind of be pulled from school in grade seven because I mean, I was just wasn't going to get along there. Right. And, uh, so I got homeschooling for a little while and then I went, I spent the next, probably to the age of 13 to 17 in pretty much in social isolation because I wasn't going to school. So I was separated from all the other kids. I didn't really have any friends and, then I went to, um, but I, my interest sort of continued in, in, in the West, the American Western history, not just the American West, um, 
all parts of history. Alexander the Great, um, a lot of military leaders, medieval history, uh, all, all kinds of history, ancient Egypt. And then I enrolled in what I guess you call it over there, like a community college kind of deal when I was 17. And that's when my teen years actually kind of began a little. And, um, yeah, I made a, made a real good friend, Scott Arthur. He'll listen to this. How you doing? Um, and it turned out he was also a big Western buff. And he was even a year younger than me. He was like 16 when I met him. I was 17. But he was a big fan of the Young Guns films and Tombstone and, and Clint Eastwood and all those Westerns as well. So we started watching them together. Oh. Uh, and, like, he still is a big, big Western. I mean, he's not a historian, but he's into the West. So that kind of was really cool to find someone that shared that interest. And I started, you know, the first, I'd call, serious biography of Bonnie that I read was uh, Robert M. Utley's. And then I had to start because I was older, I was able to like order books a little more at the bookstores and well, the bookstores are all closed down now here. But, um, and it kind of progressed from there. And I ended up corresponding for a little while with Frederick Nolan in my early twenties and, um, Bob Utley. And, and I ended up uh, being mentored by Leon Metz for a little while and then kind of know how to explain it. Life circumstances in my twenties kind of. I had to sort of back away from the field a bit. The time just wasn't right. And then, so, but it did continue. So, yeah, I, there were periods. I mean, I spent a lot of my teen years listening to music as well. Right. Still am a big music head, punk rock, playing guitar, smoking cigarettes, being a, you know, teenage angst guy. And, <laughs> but the, his, the the passion for history always remained there. And it was about four years ago that I was able to, really break into the field with some articles and mm. continue from that. So I'm going to ask you about Fred Nolan yeah. and, and Robert Utley. How did it go about that a young guy living in Australia ends up writing to Fred and to Robert? I assume you just wrote a letter, dropped it in the mail. Um, no, it was, e- it was email, man. Oh, it was email. Yeah, that was the early 2000s, so the, I had a computer by then, you know, and the internet was starting to roll a little more. And then you getting a hold of them. Did they answer right back, or how were they? Because that's, that's crazy to me that you would just email a guy and you get an answer. Well, I, I connected through them through, like, these other sort of little online friends in the Old West community back then, like on the discussion boards and stuff. And I kind of connected to them. Fred Nolan and I sort of exchanged emails here and there. I used to get on Fred's nerves at times. I know that. And I understand why I, you know, I would have got on my nerves too at that time. Cause I just wasn't, the time just wasn't, I was sort of looking for a quick entry into the field and it doesn't work that way at the back then. And <clears throat> so I understand why he got frustrated, but he, he always answered the email. Bob Utley, who's very kind to me, um, he sent me his digitised research notes about the kid, the Linton County War and all that a few years ago, as I detailed in my book's notes. Um, but Bob Bob Utley himself always said he was never big on correspondence. Like he'd keep his emails relatively short and sweet. But um, he was also always very kind to me. When my very first article was published, which was a cover story in the June 2020 True West about rain in the face, a Lakota warrior, I got an email from Bob out of the blue just saying, oh, congratulations, so great to see my young friend succeeding. And, you know, I really appreciated that. Fred was out of the field by that time with, you know, um, he kind of had to 
go offline by then. But so yeah, they, they were pretty cool. Leon Metz was probably the one I became closest to back then. Um, he was always he was so funny. He'd always like saying, "Hey, let's do lunch next week." I'm like, "Leon, I'm in Australia." Man. <laughs> he used to forget that I lived on the other side of the world. He's like, "Oh yeah, that's right." But he was really cool, and, and he helped me write. Well, he didn't help me write it. That's a mistake. Uh, I actually started writing what became the cover story about Rain in the Face in the early 2000s, in my early 20s. I wrote the basis for it, and then life kind of happened, stuff happened. I ended up getting engaged for a while and got distracted. And the truth of it is that, that you know, any prospects of me becoming a historian, publishing articles, went on the shelf for quite a few years and then what happened was about four years ago out of the blue and I hadn't spoken to Leon in a while I kind of lost contact with him withdrawn from it all different things going on and I just saw this video on YouTube of Leon who was suffering from Alzheimer's by then I mean he wouldn't have even known who I was by then and it made me it really triggered something in me and I was like well this guy gave me his time all those years ago I'm going to finish that damn article. And it just really lit a fire under my ass and I got to work on it and I managed to finish it and I sent it off to True West and Rosebrook got back to me and said, we're going to run it as a cover story. I was like, oh, okay. And then I got in touch with uh, Richard Edelaine and started to get in, you know, in touch with a lot of the people in the field, the historians that are my friends now. But it all started from that, really, it sounds like from the initial... Fred Nolan, Robert Utley, Leon Metz, and then you get published. And then when you got published, it kind of opened some doors. Is that correct? Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, Dick Edeline, he was so kind to me uh, about four years ago, three, four years ago now. And I was first really starting to break into the field. He kind of acted as my unofficial editor. Like if I wrote an article and the first couple of articles, the first article I ever wrote about kid, which was in the, December 2020 Wild West magazine. Like he read that for me and sort of gave me some tips and I'll tighten this up here and there. And and then I met uh, Linda Sanchez, who's a dear friend of mine. She's like my big sister. And of course, Chuck Asma, who's like a father figure to me almost. He's a real mentor to me. He read every chapter of my book as it was written and like to give his analysis. And sometimes he'd rip into me on something if he disagreed. It was all great. And, of course, Bob Bozbell is a friend as well. He's really cool. And, uh, yeah, it, it all went really, I guess, went back to Leon and Fred and Bob back, oh, geez, 15 years ago now. Well, doesn't Bob, don't you guys have nicknames for each other? Bob Bell, uh, yeah, he calls me the little Aussie bastard. <laughs> um, he also, uh, he also, uh, so he kind of gave me the nickname, Actually, it was him and Mark Lee Gardner gave me the nickname Little Swagger. That's another one they gave me. Um, I call Bob sometimes the Yankee wanker when he calls me the little Aussie bastard, but uh-huh. it's all in good fun. Right. Um, he, he was, he was right though when he wrote about me in the, the October issue uh, of True West that's just come out when he said, I, you know, I can be a pistol. Yeah, he, he's right. But I think he likes that about me. He likes my, Kind of, I have a little uh, in life, in everyday life. I'm, I'm very kind of a bit shy and self conscious. But when it comes to my work, I can have a little swagger about it sometimes. And you know, I think he kind of likes my what, what's an old person's word, moxie. I guess, Mox, yeah, moxie. Yeah, spunk. Yeah. You got a little spunk in you. 
Yeah, yeah, I guess now and then. But, I mean, my work is my life. You know, I'm not married, no wife, no kids. I don't even have time for a steady girlfriend. My work is my life. So and when something's your life like that, you care a hell of a lot about it. So, Well, and, and Bob, you friended a good person because I've never met Bob. Um, we've done two interviews together. And, uh, and he's very kind. And when I send him an email that I don't understand something or am I going in the right direction, he points me in the right direction and, and, uh, he's very kind and I appreciate him. So Bob, if you're listening, uh, huge fan and thank you for being so kind. Oh, uh, he'll listen. He won't get the chance to listen to his favorite little Aussie bastard, but, um, <laughs> no, you're absolutely, you're absolutely right. He is, he is very kind. And I mean, Bob and I, we, we've been friends for a while now. We talk about all sorts of things, talk about music. Uh, we're both huge Vincent Van Hoch fans and um, both rock and roll music heads. And his son actually is a real punk rocker. I want to get in touch with him. So if you're out there, I don't know which one, which of his sons it is, though. But mm-hmm. I want to, uh, yeah, Bob, you got to tell me which, which of his sons is the real punk rocker because I get along well with him. And his wife, Kat, is wonderful. Well, you know, they live here in Arizona. We only live about an hour apart. Um, he's tall. We both play the drums. Um, so it's kind of neat that we have some of the same similar backgrounds as far as tall, you know, living in the same area that to playing drunk music is part of our life. Um, yeah, you got a, you got a hell of a beard, man. Seriously. I know it's getting longer. Yeah, I know, man. It's going to be like, you're going to look like ZZ Top soon. Yeah. Well, today I was at the store and this little girl playing my weird, uh, my beard for those who don't know is all white. Uh, except for the sides, the sides is like a dark brown. And so a, a young, young, a real young girl pointed at me at the store and said, Santa. And I was like, Oh, I'm like, you know what? I'm good with that though. I was, I was thinking, man, well, she probably thought you were Santa. You need to pull a hat on, man. You can get some light. You can moonlight as a Santa. At right. Oh, I'm actually going to let my sideburns go longer. And I'm pro- I told my wife, maybe I should just bleach that white and, you know, and, you know, make some side hustle being Santa Claus somewhere. Um, oh, yeah. But, you know, you're, you're doing all this, and I'm – where did it dawn on you to get involved in Billy the Kid? Of all the people I – mean, and I know it's your relationship with Fred Fred Nolan and stuff because he was phenomenal in New Mexico history and, and Robert Utley and, and all the others. Where was it – that you said, you know what? I'm drawn to Billy the Kid. Okay, I was about nine years old. Oh. I was lying on the couch, as you guys call. It. We call it a lounge. You Americans call it a couch. Yep. Uh, I was lying, channel surfing, and this pretty good-looking guy, I guess, uh, with a hyena laugh, came on my television, and he spat on this big guy's head from a rooftop in a western. And I thought that was really funny. That was Emilio Estevez in Young Guns 2. Hmm. And I watched the rest of the film, loved it. Um, of course, the film's a total, you know, got a lot of crap in them, but, you know, it's, I didn't know that at the time. I was nine. But um, hit the video store the next day, I think, and rented the first Young Guns, and I was just hooked. And that was how I was first bitten by the Billy Bug. And it just went on from there, just read everything I could. And, you know, it was just... I found that the real history was just so much more interesting than the movie versions, and I just spent so many years reading and 
researching and getting materials and just looking deeper and deeper. And I found a just a developed an empathy for him. Uh, in, 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 I mean, he, you know, I don't romanticize him or defend him. He was no saint, but it was just, uh, and I think also because I was young and like he was a young guy when he died. So I could kind of relate on that level a bit more than maybe, I don't know, a 90 year old guy could. But, um, that's pretty much how it started. So it's John, John Fusco and Emilio Estevez. Because John Fusco wrote the, wrote the screenplays. They're the ones to, to blame, I guess, for what I am. Well, if you're wondering who we're talking to, uh, we have James B. Mills on the phone. Um, and if I ruin this, please, because I only know a little bit of Spanish and very little. Uh, we're talking about his new book. I'm not fluent. I'm, I'm not fluent in Spanish. I speak a little, but I'm not fluent. Well, I know enough to order a beer. I need una mas cerveza and, uh, and uh, como se llama, which is your name, um, uh, and then some swear words. Um, but... You wrote the book Billy the Kid, yeah, Billy the Kid, El Bandido Simpatico, um, uh, by James B. Mills. You can find it at Amazon and booksellers near you. Uh, beautiful artwork by Bob Bosbell, and I'm about the first thirty pages in. Um, what I like about the book is for you, for those of you who don't know, I like details. The more details, the better. And James has packed it full of details in fact in a pre-interview we talked about like if he scratches ass i'm gonna it's in the book um yeah and i and i believe it because the details are insane when you when you were and, and I'm, gonna, I'm gonna simplify it and then tell me if i'm full of crap like when you were cruising through as an adult and you realize i'm gonna write a book about billy the kid how long did the book take you to put it all together and finally get it to where it was a a rough print so your friends could read it and proofread it. Like what was the length of time? Uh, it was 18 months and I don't recommend writing a book like that in 18 months for anyone who values their sanity. Uh, mm. I never should have written a book that size in that a lot of time. That should have taken at least two and a half years. But um, I broke in with a couple of articles and it was Richard Adelaine who suggested to me, he said, look, you should, you should really write your own book on the kid because you're, more interested in the Hispano side of things. And I was like, yeah. And because one thing I'd noticed was that the Hispano side of Billy's history had never received the recognition it deserved. It had always been kind of, I wouldn't say it had been ignored by some. Others had sort of dealt with it a little, but it had always kind of been, the Hispanos had always you know, kind of been uh, in the background of, of his history. They never really had their voice and their perspective really brought forward, and I thought, well, I'll write a book that does that. Mm. And um, but I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a detail hound, so it ended up being a lot larger book than I thought it would be. And But it took uh, 18 months all up, and it was a lot of lack of sleep, uh, too many cigarettes, and uh, mm. but I managed to get it done. But um, I'm sure there's, I think there's, you know, in the first print, there's probably a couple of little typos in there somewhere because... Uh, Due to the pandemic, unfortunately, UNT couldn't had to use like an amateur oh, copy editor, which mm-hmm. is a shame. But you know, they'll whatever little things are in it like that will be corrected for the next print. But so hell, notebook's perfect anyway. So that's way it goes. Okay, I mean, and if you're wondering, if you hear like little hits and misses on the phone, um, I'm here in Phoenix, Arizona, and James and I we're live 
together and he's in Australia. So modern technology, every once in a while you're going to hiss, you're going to hear a hiss or a pop or something. That's just part of technology. When, um, when you wrote the book, were you, it's trying to write one almost like a Wyatt Earp anthology where it's almost 600 pages and it's everything about his life? Or did you originally think to yourself, I'm going to write half of this and then I'll cover the other half in another book? Was that, was that the uh, plan or did you think you were going to write like an anthology sized book from the beginning? No, I, I just started writing. Um, it was never going to be a pop history overview in terms of I was only going to have light little details of he did this and did that. He didn't live very long, but he packed a lot of, a lot of stuff into his short life. Right. Um, but, but one thing I also noticed was is that the course of his life was often determined by like a, a chain reaction of events that were occurring around him that he actually had no real control over. Um, and a lot of incidents and things, I mean, that happened around him ended up influencing how the course of his life went. He also made some poor decisions, as teenagers do. Um, but I never intended it to be, like, I never thought, okay, this is going to be a really big book. It was just, I'll just keep writing and just keep writing. And I was kind of, look, however long it takes for me to really, to write the most in-depth biography of him and to really examine who he was within the context of his time and his character, however long that takes, that's how long it's going to take. And my editor, I think, only had a heart attack at UNC when I told him that there were 250,000 words when I was done. But that's the way it is. That's notes and everything included. But I said, look, man, this is the book it is. And I took 5% royalty with him. Oh, we lost you, bud. Lost me? Yep. I'm here. Oh, now you're back. You did something with the phone. You, the volume went away. Oh, sorry. I didn't. I didn't touch it. Oh, well, you're That's back. That's just a long, long distance, man. Yep, I got um, you. What was the last thing you heard? Um, we were talking about the fact there were two hundred fifty thousand words, and the right. press were like, "Holy right. cow!" Yeah, and uh, but I was like, "Look, that's the kind of book it had to be." And I, I certainly didn't – the last thing I was going to do, if I was going to go to all that effort, and it was never going to be just another Billy book that didn't bring anything new to the table. I mean, I, I can't stand that shit myself where that's just one of my pet peeves in the field. Like, if you're just going to write the same old book and not dig deeper and bring anything new to the table, then there's no point. So I dug deep and I managed to – I was fortunate enough to uncover, a, you know, a lot of new details and a lot of – some. You know, previously unknown reports, uh, previously unknown interviews with some people that knew him, and I was fortunate to find all that stuff. And it, I was able to do it, and the book just kept getting bigger. And but it's not, it's not, it's not that big. I mean, no. I got a biography here of Pancho Villa that's over a thousand pages. No, so no, yeah. but I, it's there's there's a lot. Like you've got a, an amazing footnote in the back that is just it. You know, it's it's almost like another book on its own. Um, the details, and I think that's what makes the books for me as a detailed reader, which is why I love John Bosnecker's books because he he puts details into it. Um, yeah, he's good. He's just you know just the way, and and I'll, I'll be honest, in some pages I have to read, I have to go back and reread again because the details are so 
there's so much there, and it's it's perfect for a reader like me. Yeah, it's good, man. I mean, it might bother it might bother some other people. I don't know, but I mean, I I don't think so. Yeah. You know, well, if it does, it does. Right. But yeah. But I think there's there's people out there that will say, "Oh, this is this is history. This is real." I you know I thought I was getting a story about Billy the Kid. You are, but this is the way it is. You know, you're not going to make shit up, so you might as well not. No, you know, just, I don't. I, know I never made. I never. Some historians have kind of invented dialogue. That, yeah, the kind of thing that he presumes they said. Right. That's not me. I don't do that. To me, that's a huge no. Um, every bit of dialogue that was that's spoken by the people in the book has a you know comes from historical record. Even though in some cases it's probably not exactly what was said at the time, because you know you, you, a lot of it comes from interviews with guys from like forty years later, and they probably remembered the dialogue that was spoken back then a little differently. But uh, if it, as as you said, man, if Billy scratched his ass, it's in there. It's and you know, covering the uh, – it was also important. It wouldn't be as long if I wasn't so committed to covering the Hispano side of things, and I felt it was very important with Chapter 18, which knocked Bob Bo's bell on his ass. Mm-hmm. that I – that, that chapter goes really in-depth into his life amongst the Hispanos and the culture, uh, the, the superstitions, the customs, how they lived. Because this was a – you know, these are the people – and their culture that he had to adapt to and immerse himself in. And these are the people that do it best because he lived with them. So, and let's talk about that because the book does spend a lot of time with the Hispano, um, Hispano, um, life and people dig a little deeper into that process to why that became a big part of it and why you think maybe other books that have been written long ago might not have covered it? Well, I don't want to speculate on why previous historians didn't gotcha. cover it as extensively as I did. I don't know. Um, maybe they just thought it wasn't interesting. I, I don't know. Um, some historians, like Fred Nolan, dealt, you know, went into it a bit, and uh, Michael Wallace went into it a little Um uh, my friend Linda Sanchez, she was actually planning on writing a book about Billy, kind of from the Hispano perspective, back in the 80s. So I wasn't the first one to think of it. But she ended up, she got distracted with other projects and never got around to, to doing it. And uh, so in a way, I was kind of, she was excited when I told her I was w- working on the book because she kind of felt I was like finishing off what she had intended to start way back then. But a book like mine should have been written years ago. Um, these people... All his amigos, Paco Anaya, Jesus Silva, uh, Martin Chavez, these are his closest friends, these are his buddies, and they knew him better than anyone. And if, as I said in a different interview I did recently, Billy only becomes a fully fleshed out person, a human being, who, as his, you know, a friend of his, John Meadows, said, displayed the same humane feelings that we all have. This wasn't a Terminator, this wasn't a you know, he wasn't some caricature. He was a person, flesh and blood teenager for the most part. Mm-hmm. And it's only when the Espano side of things is given some real attention that he finally becomes fully human. And I think you really get a much, much better understanding of who he was as a person. Because I wasn't interested in writing about him as a hero. He was a hero to the Espanos. Uh, they loved him. 
he was a folk hero to them, and they mourned him and cherished his memory. Um, but I wasn't. I don't, I don't write about heroes or villains. Uh, that's I leave that stuff to the Marvel movies. Not that I've got anything against Marvel films, right? But I, write, I want to write people. I want to write about people. Human beings are much more interesting. And even a guy like Jimmy Dolan, who colossal prick that he could be, you know, even in my book, he still comes out as a human prick. You know, he had his good points too. He wasn't. He wasn't Satan. And but, you know, I think the the Espano side of things really brings Billy forward in terms of who he was as an individual. And I felt that was, you know, long, long overdue. And I, I, I'm glad you said that because I agree with that part of it because so much about Billy the Kid is always portrayed as the, the outlaw. But your book really brings about the human side of Billy through his relationships with the Hispanic people. And it yeah. actually like as another layer of Billy that people may not know. Well, and, and there were two things I noticed was that in some cases there were firsthand recollections of some events from Hispano people who were there, or if you want to be cynical, you know, claimed they were there, that had actually been disregarded in favour of secondhand Anglo accounts that like some white guy or woman had heard happened but weren't actually there i'm like that's what the hell and so i kind of rectified some of that with a few things and the people la gente you know they were the people that he clearly preferred to live with he preferred their company and it is astonishing it's this huge dichotomy he was he was a a demon of the anglo press but he was a champion of la gente Mm. and if you read the newspaper report, too, who did um, – Billy was no saint. You know, he shot a, his share of men on the southwestern frontier and he stole some horses and cattle, although when it comes to that kind of stuff, if you look at things in perspective, he was one of a 1,000 at that time and place. doesn't make it right, but, I mean, that was, you know, life back then in a lot of ways. But if you read the, like, the newspaper reports and how they, they would write him up as this horrible, horrible epitome of evil and – They'd say, oh, he killed 40 men when he's never killed anywhere near close to that. If you read the newspaper reports by the Anglo newspapers, you're reading about the worst human being in the world at that time. If you read the accounts of the Hispanos who actually knew him rather than just knew him by reputation, knew him as a person, you would honestly think you are reading about a completely different person. You you read the Hispano recollections of him and, and you give them their voice yeah, he was a little ruffian at times. Yeah, he killed some men, but he was also capable of being very kind, very considerate, very generous, extremely well-mannered. Um, he was a very likable kid to a lot of people, and a lot of the Anglos too that knew him, they all liked him. 95% of the recollections from the people who actually knew Billy personally are, are positive. And that's astonishing to me. And if that kind of brings him... You know, without, I don't, I don't want to, you know, whitewash anything he did, which I don't do in the book. I hold Billy accountable. <clears throat> but at the same time, I don't, you know, preach to the reader either because that drives me nuts when historians do that. And if you want to preach your own personal moral values, go do it on a street corner. Hmm. Um, but it kind of brought everything together for him in terms of who he was as an actual person, a flesh and blood, as I already said before, starting right. to repeat myself here. Right. But uh, I had a real good thought there for a moment. No, I can't think of it. Oh, move on. Yep. 
So let me ask you. You're reading, you're researching the book. You're re, or not researching the book. You're researching history. You're digging deep. You said that there's some new information that had just, you had just found. What out of, out of the entire book? Cause we got about 20, 21 minutes left. Out of the yeah, entire book. I know. Um, after, I lost my train of thought too. When you were writing, researching all this, listen, it's, 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 it's late, it's late for me. Hey, um, it's live, man. It's early for me. I'm half asleep, but I'm rolling on. There you go. Let's just do it. Was there something in the book that you found that was new information that was crazy, like blew you away? Uh, yeah, one thing in particular that I found was that while he was being held in the Lincoln jail, you know, uh, after Pat Garrett had captured him, he was you know, scheduled to be ha- uh, hanged. There was actually a rescue plan being put on by some, being put together by some Hispanos in San Patricio and Picacho. Um, they were planning to bust him out. Uh, obviously, in the end, they didn't need to do it because he broke out himself, but. And that, that, that blew me away. And I was kind of, and the guy who remembered this because he was there talking to some of the women that were there on behalf of their Hispano husbands trying to gather some hombres up. They were going to rally up like 15, 20 armed Hispanos. They were going to storm Lincoln and try and bust their boy out. They weren't just going to let him hang. I thought that was extraordinary. But all these people that this guy who remembered that, they all checked out in the census records. And it kind of got me thinking, well, how would Pat Garrett and, and, and Bob Ollinger and, and James W. Bell, they, they would have been dealing with an armed posse at some point. I mean, maybe Billy wouldn't have been hanged even if, you know, he hadn't broken out himself because they might have busted him out. I don't know what would have happened, but that was extraordinary and to me. And, and that story had never been publicised before or, or even I don't think anyone had even really dug into it to see if, you know, is this worthy of believing, which it is from based on what my research. And uh, a variety of other things I found. Um, I found some previously unknown newspaper reports about his trials in La Masia uh, and various details about, you know, little things. I found out the names of the parents of the first guy that he shot, Frank Windy Cahill. Um, every previous historian, even the great ones, have had Lawrence Murphy's birth year wrong. They've had his, by several years, in fact, he was actually younger than we thought he was. And they had, you know, Jimmy Dolan's birthday wrong as well. Uh, so there's a lot of little things like that in there. And I found some previously unknown interviews with the co-boys, George and Frank Coe, who were regulators and rode alongside Billy. And no. For what it's worth, on his father died. We lost you, man. No, I'm here. Now you're back. I'm back? Yep. Nope. Now you went away. Yeah, so there's, there's plenty of new little details and information. Hmm. The one that blew me away was the most. Is we we completely know. lost you, bud. Oh, dude, now you're back. Something like with the phone. Now I'm here? Yeah, now you're there. All right. Okay, I won't move. Um, the thing that blew me away the most was that, I mean, it's a testament to how much the Hispanos loved him. Was it the, you know, there were some of them who were actually planning to bust him out of jail mm-hmm. before he made his famous escape. Hmm. 
when mm. because there's so much like I've got a million questions like we could, we could go through this and be on the phone for hours but it won't be recording when when you put everything together were you expecting the press that you've gotten because you've gotten a lot of press and it's been solid amazing press were you expecting it uh i, I wish i could say yeah <laughs> um oh. no man that, that that just comes with it i mean i knew there'd be a, some i mean it's it's billy bonnie he's the biggest box office drawer in the history of new mexico so any book about him is going to get some attention i didn't know i was going to have people asking me to do interviews here there and everywhere it kind of gets a little overwhelming at times but i deal with it um no, I can't say I saw that coming. Um, I just hoped, you know, you put that much work into something, I hope people would like it. And then, then of course, you get your cynics out there and your soapbox preachers, oh, he's romanticising a killer and a thief. Well, no, actually, that's not what I'm doing. I'm humanising. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, just comes with the, comes the way it goes, the way it went. People, you know, Eric, I know Eric Wright at the Tombstone Epitaph, he raved about it, the book, and no, I thought that was cool. And, yeah. Yeah. Just see how things go with it. Well, we're talking to uh, James B. Mills about his new book, Billy the Kid, El Bendito Sempitico. Sempitico. How do I say that? El Bendito Sempatico. 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 There you go. Yeah. I was trying to do my vowels. I took Spanish, and I was while you were talking, I was trying to do my vowels so I could remember, and I screwed it up anyways. Um, but you can get the book at uh, Billy the Kid. At Amazon is a great play to get place to get it and booksellers near you. You can order it directly directly from University of North Texas Press too. Just okay. thought I'd throw that out there. There you go. Why yeah. do you think and this is kind of a loaded question and maybe you'll know. Okay. Why do you think Billy still, for the short life that he lived, is still so mainstream in culture and Western history? Oh man, I mean that's kind of like asking why is Jimmy Dean mainstream and culture still? Um, I mean because Billy, like he, there are websites and group chats, and you know we've got a mutual or a friend Lucas Spear that goes all over New Mexico, lives in New Mexico, and goes all over New Mexico searching out Billy the Kid locations and where buildings and where he lived and where he stood. And and he's still like Billy yeah. won't go away. Like he it is, makes, it's crazy. It kind of makes people psycho. Yeah, it kind of makes people psycho. Um, I think okay, the press made him a star. Um, as far as his actions, really, he was just another cattle rustler at the time. He shot a few men, so a lot of other guys. But the press made him a star. But I think more than anything, and we can thank J. H. Coogler of the Las Vegas Gazette, Las Vegas Gazette, for this. It was that name. Billy the Kid. It just rolls off the tongue. It's so box office. It works. It's a, it's the best outlaw name, in my opinion, that any outlaw was ever given. And then, of course, Garrett went after him, and he became a star in the press. And of course, he made the most dramatic jailbreak in front of history when he escaped from Lincoln Jail on April twenty eighth, eighteen eighty one. That was unbelievable. That was the stuff of you know, legend that he, and of course then he got killed a few months later and, you know, the whole live fast, die young thing, same appeal. I think it's kind of, you know, he was kind of a, a likable rogue 
And it's, you know, Bob Bosbell once said that in terms of that kind of deal, you can draw a, a thread kind of from Billy through James Dean, Kurt Cobain, the kind of, you know, it's a cliche, but the whole fast, die young kind of deal, a young rebel that can't be tamed, you know, outlaw, but also had a lot of friends, was very well liked. Yeah, it's, I, I, that's the best I can try to explain it, man. I mean, plus you had, I, I have to mention this, you had Walter Noble Burns, who wrote a. I mean, the book's more literature than history, but it is very was very well written. His saga of Billy the Kid in nineteen twenty six. That book became a hit, rejuvenated, and then of course it's the movies, man. There's been over sixty films made about. Yeah, because his story was just made for the silver screen, mm-hmm. and it's just continued on and on. And you know, he's. He, I, I honestly believe if you could walk up to Bonnie in Fort Sumner in eighteen eighty and say, you know what, one hundred and forty years from now. You're going to be as famous as Julius Caesar or Napoleon or Abraham Lincoln because everyone knows his name around the world. He, he probably would have told you to lay off the the drink, <laughs> like he would have. You know, he would he would have said like, you know, lay off the whiskey, man. Like he wouldn't have believed it himself. But the funny thing was, he never really cared for his fame. He didn't like he didn't like all the fantastical stories being told about him. He didn't like that at all. He said himself, "I'm getting up a terrible reputation," and he even said, and this is the most ironic thing he ever said regarding his own fame. In a previously unknown interview that he did that I found with him uh, in, with a newspaper a couple of years ago, he said, I don't see any money in it. Mm-hmm. That's what he said about his own fame. Uh, the tin type photograph, one of the copies of that sold, what was it auctioned off for? $2.3 million Crazy. about 10 years ago. Right. The gun that Garrett used to shoot him just got auctioned off for $6 million, you know, mm-hmm. a few months ago. But, you know, for him, uh, I don't see any money in it crazy because he just it's like doc holiday another short life that just keeps moving and it's got its own momentum and now you've got this book out that's created even more momentum and then a beautiful cover on the new truest magazine and you've got an article written in it and billy just oh, it's, keeps an getting, it's not an article it's an excerpt, or an excerpt. from the book from that's 26 yeah there you go sorry to be a condescending jerk and correct you but no, i just dude, yeah. that's that's honestly people ask me all the time like why do i do the podcast because i don't make any money off of them and i do yeah, the there's pod- no money in it like right there's said. no money in it but i i learn from it i'm one of those that likes building a relationship with james and and i learn from things when we discuss them in an open forum well, you're a pretty easygoing guy, you know, so you're easy to get along with. There you go. Um, <laughs> and you got a hell of a beard. I'll yeah, say that again. I'm telling you, brother. <laughs> i got to bring you with me on, on tour. Um, oh, yeah. You, you have a new book that you're writing, correct? Yes, I do. Can you... Sorry, I had a lot of, I had a lot of cigarettes. Sorry. Yeah, okay. yeah, I do have a new book. Um, it's called uh, In the Days of Billy the Kid. The Frontier Lives of Jose Chavez y Chavez, Juan Patron, Martin Chavez, and Inyo Salazar. And it's a book that will be centered around those four hombres' lives. Of course, they all knew Billy. Three of them fought alongside him in the Lincoln County War. Um, three of them were pretty good friends with him. Uh, Inyo and Martin Chavez were very close friends with him. But the book is centered around their lives. It focuses on, uh, tells a story from, from their lives in terms of when they were born, where they grew up, uh, the stuff they got up to before they met Bill, New Billy and stuff they got up to for many, many years after Billy was killed. 
And so it's also going to kind of serve as, in, in a way, I guess, as kind of like a Hispano history of south, southeastern New Mexico in that sense, particularly Lincoln County and what was then San Miguel County. It's going to be a wild-ass ride. Well, I can't wait for that Jose, one to come out. Jose Alves Chavez, he ended up with a $500 reward on his own head years later, man. In terms of outlawry, he was actually – he was a he was a bad hombre, man. He, 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 he outdid Billy in terms of outlawry. I mean, when, I, when I interview other researchers and writers, they will tell me that many times the next book – or next two books, or a third one, whatever it is, comes to them while they're researching the book that they're writing about. And there's could be a character in that it's like, hmm, I really need to research that guy because his life is really crazy. Do you find that? Or is there somewhere in the two books that, that you, well, one that you're writing, the one that's completed, is there anybody in the two books where you're like, hmm, they need, I'm going to dig into these and maybe in the back of your mind, three years from now, you're going to do another one. Oh man, I, I haven't thought that far ahead. No? I don't know. I, I, I don't, I'm, I'm, I'm so busy with this book now. I don't know where I'll go from after that. Um, you know, New Mexico territory, That that's, you know, my main area of expertise. I have thought, you know, ideas, but I really can't say for sure exactly where it would go here, but I mean, I'm oh, We're losing you, bud. It is uh, so... I, I didn't move, man. There you go. I'm for here. some reason, the phone clicks and then boom, you're right back. I didn't do anything, man. I didn't move. I, I didn't touch shit. I just, I'm just, you know... I know. Just deal with it. But uh, yeah, so I don't know where I'm going to go in, in, in the future with it. Uh, but, you know... Whatever will be, will be, as the old saying goes. Mm-hmm. Um, we got just a few minutes left. Yeah. It goes yes, by we fast. Do. Will you come back and do it again? Uh, yeah, man. You want to do another one of these? No problem. Yes. No, we'll yeah. do another one. We'll, drama. No, we'll do one out there. We'll, I got, I'm, I'm booked up all the way to November. Um, oh, that's cool. Yeah. If somebody Going was, if somebody was, New to Billy the Kid. Yeah. Obviously, your book is the go-to that you would want them to read. Uh, muchas gracias. But is there another book or maybe another one? Maybe would it be Stewart's Lake or where you would say you have to read mine because it really is the, the, the anthology of Billy the Kid. Is there another one out there that we should read? Or no? We lost him. We lost you again, bud. All right, I'm here. Can you hear me? Yep, now I can. Okay. All right, the one that always kind of appealed to me was uh, Miguel Antonio Otero Jr.'s. Because he was the other governor in Billy's life besides Lou Wallace. Um, he didn't become governor until years after the kid was killed. He knew Billy. And um, he ended up becoming a very, very successful. I mean, there's a county named after him in, in New Mexico now. He, he became a very successful governor and uh, the first Hispano governor. And he wrote, he put together a book, and unfortunately, a lot of it in the first half of it's crap because he basically relied on a lot of the sensationalist books 
free sources on a lot of the earlier County War stuff. But it has some some interviews in it at the end that I really value. One in particular with Martin Chavez, who's one of the four guys that my next book focuses on. And uh, there's some really there's some good stuff in, in, in towards in, in the end of that one with the interviews and and you, you do get a little of the Hispano side of things because I mean he you know he was half Hispano himself. He was trying to I think he was trying to bring that side of things a little more to light. So that's what I recommend and. Um, Oh, geez. Uh, Leon Metz wrote a real good biography of Pat Garrett. Of course, any of Frederick Nolan, Nolan's books. Rod M. Utley wrote some good books. Of course, Bob Bowes Bills, Illustrated Life and Times. They're, you know, they're great fun. So there's plenty out there. There's a lot I've forgotten, but I can't get through them all, man. I'll be here all week. Gotcha. Well, you heard it first. Uh, this is the new book by Billy, uh, about Billy the Kid from James B. Mills, El Bandido Sampatico. Um, I, I still think I screwed that up. Sim, simpatico. Um, I'll have, I have to work on it. And then, um, it, you can find it at books. Thanks, man. You can find it at booksellers yeah. near you and Amazon. And then make sure you go out and get the, uh, the October edition or of, uh, True West magazine. It's got even more about Billy the Kid. And again, the book is fantastic. Um, pictures in it. Uh, details, just cram full of details. And uh, you're going to want to get this book and, and then really keep it as a reference because really the way it's written, it for me will be once I finish it, it'll become a reference when I'm, you know, I want to go back and, and pull the truth about Billy the Kid. I'm going to use the book as the reference for the truth. And so he's written a phenomenal book and you're going to want to go get it. Of course, we want to thank the Wild West History Association at wildwesthistory.org and uh, subscribe and become a member, along with the folks at the Tombstone Epitaph, Arizona's longest-running newspaper. Uh, you can become a subscriber and get the epitaph delivered right to your door by going to tombstoneepitaph.com. You got anything to add? Anything? Anything? Uh... Uh, no, I don't have anything much more to say right now, man. You've wrapped it up pretty well. All right. Well, we appreciate uh, I will you. Say, I, will oh, say, I will say quickly, I will say the title of the book, yep. Billy the Kid, El Bandido Simpatico. Simpatico. There you go. Okay, there you go. Well, you know, and you're going to find the podcast on YouTube. So you can find it by going to Cochise County underscore travels along with uh, the iHeartRadio app. You can find me on uh, Apple iTunes, Spotify, Everywhere that you listen to podcasts, be sure to give a rating and review. It actually helps with distribution. I don't know how, but it does help with distribution. Uh, again, you'll find it on YouTube. So if you have somebody who doesn't understand like how to listen to a podcast on a radio or on an app or whatever, you can go over to YouTube and find there's about 30 hours so far of podcasts and interviews on my YouTube channel at Cochise County underscore travels. Until next time, safe travels and we'll see you soon.